Mark 1. Conversations at the speed of sound. Hello and welcome to this pilot episode of Mark 1, the new podcast of the Queensland Air Museum, Caloundra. My name is Gary. I'm a QAM volunteer and I'll be your host for these conversations. Let us know what kinds of conversations you'd like to hear. And maybe if your world is aviation, you'd like to tell us something of your story. It can be military, civil, in the air or on the ground, past or present. If you'd like to tell us something of your story, shoot me an email and we might just talk. Our email address is QAMMark1, that's O-N-E for one, the number one, the numeral was already taken. QAMMark1 at gmail.com So at QAM we want this podcast to be a place where you can hear stories and information relating to all matters aviation and hear a little bit about what goes on at the Queensland Air Museum Caloundra. Did you know, for example that QAM has been in existence since 1974. I guess that means we'll be celebrating our 50th anniversary at QAM in a couple of years' time. We currently have some 100 aircraft of all kinds on display, and all of us who are involved at QAM are volunteers. We have no paid staff. Some of those volunteers are working hard to... Rescue and restore aircraft so that you can come along and see them and hear their stories and experience them in all their glory. And on this podcast, you're going to hear the stories of those aircraft and the people who flew them, crewed them, serviced them and built them. We do also have aero engines of all kinds here and some of them are runners. We'd like to tell you about those too, and we'll let you know when we're planning the next engine run day. But just for this pilot episode, I thought I'd have a brief chat with some pilots. I chose a couple of the volunteers from the extreme ends of the age and experience spectrum. First, you're going to hear from Don, who at the age of 86 has been flying for 67 years, and Don still flies. Don lives on the beautiful Sunshine Coast in Queensland, and he is one of our tour guides at QAM. Every second weekend you'll find Don here chatting to visitors and answering their many questions. Don is a Queenslander who spent most of his working life in Victoria, flew for Queensland air planters doing crop seeding, and then flew for ANSET for 29 years. After that, he was based in Singapore, flying for a further four years. Now, in his retirement, he's built his own aeroplane, a RANS S7 Courier two-seater aircraft, and we are going to dedicate an episode to hearing about Don's experience building and flying that particular plane. Watch out for that one coming soon. The other pilot I spoke to briefly is Luca. Luca volunteers on the front counter at QAM, 
So he's one of the many customer service volunteers who'll greet you when you come in through the door of Hangar 1 to buy a ticket. He's also aiming to be a guide, and in the meantime, as you'll hear, he's very keen to get involved in anything and everything that goes on at QAM. Pilot Don is 86 and has been flying for 67 years and counting. Pilot Luca is 18 and just starting out. So I'm standing in Hangar 2 at the Queensland Air Museum, Caloundra. Uh, Hangar 2 is this most amazing space. If you visit the QAM, I'm sure you'll agree. It's a hangar that's open on two sides. So it's protected from the elements uh, with the roof and two sides. But it's also uh, open to the air and to the light. So it's a delightful space. About 3,000 square metres of bitumen floor and dozens of aircraft uh, arrayed. We have military aircraft, we have civil, we have helicopters and fixed wing. We have four engine, two engine and single engine. We have all kinds of aircraft. And uh, we're standing under a DC-3 at the moment. And I'm standing with a man who flew DC-3s and has a, a long uh, history of stories to tell. G'day, Don. Oh, hello, Gary. Nice of you to join me. What are your remembrances of flying the DC-3? Well, it's, it's an aircraft that you really do have to fly. It's, um, it's built very strongly and uh, it can do just about anything and it was a very hard aeroplane to replace when they finally reached the end of their days. But it was a real delight to fly, even though very basic in the instrumentation. Um, uh, when it rained, there was almost as much water in the cockpit as there was outside. We always used to wear raincoats in the cockpit. But, uh, but, uh, and they didn't take too kindly to storms and things like that. Uh, um, the, it, was a, it was a great aeroplane, a good workhorse, a good load carrier for its day. Uh, not very fast, but um, it served the purpose for most of the world's airlines in the, in the 30s, 40s and, and through into the 50s. I like flying it because uh, you had to work at it and, and it, in order to fly it well you had to really concentrate and, and, and uh, but you had to work. Hmm. So this one that we have here at the QAM, tell us a little bit about this particular... This aircraft was... Um, it was actually built in 1937 and it uh, was built for KLM over in Europe, transferred over to the international wing of KLM and were based in Batavia in the, the Dutch East Indies at that time. Of course Batavia is now Jakarta and uh, of course that worked okay until 1942 when the Japanese entered the war and then it had to be uh, removed from um, uh, Batavia and they were flown to, the whole fleet actually was flown to Australia. This was the last aeroplane to fly out of Batavia and it carried the governor and his staff and a few airline personnel and uh, when they arrived in Australia the, these were supposed to be handed over to the Australian government. Uh, that didn't happen because General MacArthur wanted these aircraft for, him, for the US Army Air Force. And uh, in protest, because they didn't want to hand them over, uh, the pilots took this aeroplane, plus a DC-5 and a, and a Lockheed 10, and in formation flew it under the Sydney Harbour Bridge and turned around and flew back the other way. 
under the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Yes, it's one of the few aeroplanes that's ever flown under the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Of course, if you wanted to do that today, you'd have to say goodbye to your licence. You'd never fly again. <laughs> and did MacArthur himself fly in this particular yes, one? he did. Um, he was going to use it as his own personal aircraft. But on the first flight he had in the thing, he got a, a nosebleed because the pilot obviously descended too fast and they're not pressurised. Um, and he wouldn't ever fly in it again. So I just went into the transport wing for the rest of the war then. And... Uh, until after that, after the war, it was um, bought by ANSA, uh, no, sorry, uh, ANA, uh, and then went to Butler Air Transport, and from there, Butler was taken over by ANSA, and so it ended up in airlines in New South Wales. And that's where it finished its flying days. Its last flight for airlines in New South Wales was in 1972, and its last flight ever was in 1974. It's never flown since then. So we're, we're here at uh, a nose section from a Viscount. Uh, you flew Viscounts as well? Yes, as a first officer and based in Sydney, I flew Viscounts, yes. So that was with ANSET? Yes. I was based in Sydney for three years flying those because that's the only aircraft that ANSET flew out of Sydney at that time. And um, of course this was the early 60s, 62 to 65. Okay, and the one we have here, uh, you were telling me earlier, has a radar fitted in the nose, but the, the ones you flew were, that was pre-radar days, is that right? So that must have made some, for, for some hairy flying. Uh, well, yes, actually, probably the scariest moment of my whole aviation career occurred while I was flying Viscounts. And uh, on this particular flight, it was on a, a Viscount 700 series, just like the aircraft uh, nose we have here. And uh, it was from Sydney to Coolangatta, the flight, and it was the whole eastern seaboard was covered with heavy cloud at that time. So soon after we took off out of Sydney, we entered cloud, and we were in cloud all the way through the flight to Coolangatta. But when we got up near uh, around about Casino, the because we couldn't see, we were in cloud. We flew straight into the side of a thunderstorm. And uh, that's when everything sort of went haywire because it was immediately, it was like someone had grabbed the aeroplane, started shaking it violently, throwing it in all different directions, up, down, sideways, everything. The two of us were hanging onto the controls just trying to keep it level, but we had no control over the aircraft whatsoever. And uh, it went up something like about 700 metres, nearly 3,000 feet, in a matter of 20 or 30 seconds. It was such a violent updraft and we were being pelted by hail and the hail was bigger than cricket balls and you could watch it hitting the windscreen and we thought if those windscreens don't hold it's all over, you know, there's no way in the world we're going to survive. And uh, But they did. Then. While this was all going on, it suddenly ceased because it threw us out of the side of the cloud almost sideways and then straightened out with a big jolt swing round. And uh, we're just sitting there shaking. <laughs> and what are we going to do? Because we didn't have any instruments, they'd all iced up. Um, so we didn't have any airspeed, or anything. So it's mostly flying by the seat of the plants, just 
trying to hold together. And the plane is full of passengers, right? It is, and uh, well, they were they were strapped in, thank goodness, because we didn't have any injuries from them. But one of the flight attendants had did get bounced around a bit. But uh, we decided that it, we wouldn't go on to Kulangatta, into Kulangatta, because there was no maintenance there. So we went to Brisbane instead. And when we landed in Brisbane and pulled up at the terminal people came out and they were just staring at the aeroplane and I wonder what's wrong so when we got out of the aeroplane and, and the passengers when they put the stairs up it was almost like a stampede just to get out of the thing <laughs> and when we left the aeroplane and had a look at it it was a complete wreck the whole nose of the aeroplane had been caved in and holes punched in it the leading edges of the all leading edges from the tail fin the uh, elevator the um, tail plane and the wings were all caved in on the all the one leading edges and holes in it Gosh. and it was just a, a total mess the aeroplane and uh uh, of course, the, the company uh, pr approached the Department of Civil Aviation, as CASA was called then, and got permission for it to be flown back to Sydney. In that condition? In that condition. It was off the line for something like about six weeks while they rebuilt the aeroplane and had to do all sorts of stress tests and everything on it because it had been really overstressed. And uh, it. It made me very, very confident flying Viscount aeroplanes after that because if it could take that, it could take just about anything. <laughs> but I must say, it was the scariest moment of my life. I don't think I've ever been as scared as, I, as what I was on that flight then. And here you are to tell the tale, Don. Um, well, look, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again because there are lots more stories to hear, but I really appreciate you talking to us today. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, well, thanks for talking to me, Luca. Uh, you are a pilot, so what's your license? Currently, I'm on a recreational pilot certificate, so it's a very basic, kind of low level, restricted license, uh, authorised through RAOs, not CASA, so yeah. Okay, and you obviously have plans to go on uh, to make aviation a career. Uh, wh what do you see in the future? Are you looking at uh, commercial? Yeah, yeah. Ideally, I want to work in the commercial sector, passengers or freight. Uh, but yeah, I've always really had a passion for flying since I was younger. And uh, when I was little, it was always I want to work for Jetstar or I want to work for Qantas. So hopefully one of those one day. <laughs> well, good luck with that, because that's a very exciting point to be in your career, even though the aviation industry is kind of in a very fraught position at the moment. But uh, let's say let's hope there's better days coming so what uh, what made you volunteer at QAM? Well I've always been visiting the Air Museum since we moved up here so I've been on the coast about 11 years uh, and all of them I would have been visiting the Air Museum as a young kid I've uh, been to all the open cockpit days just thought it was an amazing place so uh, once I turned 18 I figured I'd love to get involved and um, meet some of the community and uh, it's been an amazing experience. I love being able to help in the um, restoration and maintaining of aircraft here. Uh, I love talking to the visitors, the community members that come in. Uh, the other volunteers have got amazing stories and life advice. It's, it's a great place to be. Well, uh, I've sort of unofficially become a tour guide, of, apparently. Uh, there's, uh, I've been cleaning a lot of uh, aircraft here, um, helping out doing that. Uh, and that's always nice. Uh, it's, it's like cleaning a car, but uh, a little bit harder to get into some of the gaps.
<laughs> so today I was watching you, you were washing down a Wirraway and a Mackie, and I know last week you were, you were madly cleaning the inside of a few aircraft as well. So you're planning to stick around as a volunteer here, providing you stay on the coast? Uh, as long as I'm able to find some time to come here, I will definitely want to remain. Uh, All right, here's, here's a tough question. Give, give me, uh, I'm not asking for your favourite, but one of your favourites in, in your, top, your top three here. I would say one of my long-term favourites of the collection here would have to be the Caribou. Uh, I think it's a very incredible aircraft with what it's capable of doing, uh, and I've seen some of them get into really... Uh, places you just wouldn't expect an aircraft to get, let alone something of its size. So I admire its, um, probably not its looks, although I think it does have a certain appeal to it, um, but I admire its uh, versatility, its capability, and I would uh, love to have an experience flying in one one day, but uh, that, that might be a little bit far off. But but it was amazing running through it as a kid, this giant kind of cargo space, and uh, as a pilot I could admire what it's capable of. And it's currently under restoration because it's in a bit of a, a, a state, unfortunately. But there are some people who are very dedicated to getting it back up into uh, a good condition and they work on that regularly. What's number two and three for you as far as favourites? Oof. Uh, I don't want to pick the F-111 because I feel like everyone would. Uh, that, that was a bit of a childhood hero of mine. I remember watching them do all the dump and burns and... Uh, yeah, I just thought it was an amazing aircraft and I was uh, very angry at the uh, FA-18, I remember, as a kid when they announced that as its temporary replacement with the E-models, I think it was. But um, aside from that, um, I uh, would have to say I do like the Fairchild Metro. I think it's a very graceful-looking aircraft, uh, very uh, interesting passenger aircraft. Uh, still around today, and I know a lot of the... Uh, Australian companies have used them and are still using them now um, so I think it's a very interesting aircraft a very pretty one um, comfortable from what I've heard in, unless you're standing in which case it's horrible um, but yeah and I think its involvement with Australian uh, aviation through the 80s 70s 90s and even now is very uh, interesting uh, I know Bush Pilot Airways the one we have uh, uh, Brenda Bella Rex, uh, Anset, they've all used them, so I think it's a very, uh, very historically important aircraft and a very beautiful one. Well, thanks very much for talking to me, Luca, and all the very best with your you know, career prospects and your flying, and uh, we'll talk again someday. Thank you very much for having me, Gary. So that's our pilot episode. Thank you for putting us in your ears. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours. And we'll do our best to bring you a new episode every week or so. I'm Gary, and this has been Mark One, the podcast of the Queensland Air Museum, Caloundra. Come and see us soon. How about today? Between 10 and 4 every day except Christmas Day. And if you'd like to ask anything or suggest something about the podcast, shoot us an email at QAM Mark One, that's O N E for one, QAM Mark One at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Bye for now.